You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? This was uh, it's a bit of a bit of a mixed bag of a week, Sam. We oh, had it very some, much uh, was. We had some highs. Uh, you know, um, the Wisconsin Supreme Court election really kind of proving positive that when abortion is on the ballot, people even in sort of centrist Midwest states seem to come down on the right side. Um, let's not let's not forget the the students in Tennessee protesting for their the safety of themselves and their teachers. Yeah, that that really was a mis- mixed bag. Uh, a mixed bag the, for sure. The whole the whole expulsion of two young black men from the state legislature for daring to ah, protest yes. gun rights. Um, not not a great look for Tennessee. Um, there was a, a fairly exciting Kyle Gibson start. Which we should probably touch on. <laughs> a few, um, a couple of exciting. I would, I would say, a couple of really exciting pitching performances. And then, of course, there was the um, the the dropped fly ball, which uh, we shall never speak of again. Let us not speak of it. Let us not speak of it. So, um, kind of a mixed bag, Sam. How are you feeling this week? A, a real mixed bag, and um, you know, it, I'm glad to know. You know, one of the things I was realizing, Smith, is that. We tend to, as you rightly pointed out last week, only release episodes of this podcast at times when the Orioles have promise. Mm. Um, we also seem to be loosely pegged to significant developments in the ongoing media circus surrounding former President Donald J. Trump. Um, <laughs> and to only release episodes, at least in recent years... When he Lock is doing up. some Lock bullshit. Him up. Uh, well, a, a significant step in that direction was taken this week. And I, if we're going to be talking about the news, which is a weird thing to do on a baseball podcast. And um, hello, new <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, it does seem that, um, as usual, we are following that heartbeat of the news cycle as well. You know, um, it seems to me that... Uh, the two are intimately connected, um, if nothing else, because the ongoing question of um, sports ownership continues daily to intersect with uh, the the sticky question of of politics and maybe specifically of wealthy white men behaving poorly, um, which seems to be the purview of both the current political climate and the current sports ownership one. Um, I'm not sure if you, Sam, have been following the exploits of Dodgers owner Todd Bowley of late. Oh, um, do tell. I but he's not. been he's been dipping his toe into the English football, um, the EFL, uh, my other passion. Uh-huh. And he, uh, I, I, I have ranted many a time on this podcast about former Chelsea owner, um, uh, uh, Abramovich, um, the Russian tycoon who um, may or may not have been directly involved in planning and executing the invasion of Ukraine, um, <laughs> but he's no longer the Chelsea owner. Uh, why did I? La- can I just say why did I laugh at that? I laughed because <laughs> it it it's the only 
response I can give that um, it's a rueful laugh. I guess I want to make that clear to those who could not see my face. Um, I guess I guess what was behind that laugh was, of course, a rich sports owner may have instigated um, a horrific conflict that may lead to World War III. Of course. So he got out of the way uh, and is no longer the Chelsea owner. And he sold Chelsea uh, to an ownership group headlined by your boy, Todd. Um, so Todd boy. is now Not the owner boy. of um, both the blue Dodger Blue and the Chelsea Blue. Um, and in that period of – so he's been owner since, I guess, beginning of the summer. Um, he just fired his second manager um, – and has spent nearly um, a third of a billion dollars on player transfers in that window of time. Strong and San Diego Padres vibes. Chelsea sit um, 11th in the table out of 20 um, and have been wildly underperforming the uh, expectations brought on by such a hefty price tag um uh, partially that because back. strong strong mets vibes <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's strong mets vibes um but but the uh yeah i i, I just i i find it i mean i don't mean to suggest that um todd Bowley is um another roman abramovich nor even do i mean to suggest that he's another donald trump um but the kind of the constant crossover for me of uh, my world of sports watching and my world of politics watching seems to continue to intersect with these men who um, roll in, ex- assume that their money will buy them anything that they would like, and um, then fail, um, sometimes spectacularly, uh, either at sports or at life, um, to to find that money cannot, in fact, buy you out of every single problem um, that there is to, to, to have. Now, wh- one thing that money could buy you out of, though, is the um, fear that Adley Rushman will ever wear colors <laughs> other than the orange and black? Well, I, w- I was going to say, how nice to be loyal to a team where the owner refuses to spend any money on anything. Aha. I mean, how how nice! What a refreshing break from yes. The, yes, the, the the constant the trauma, constant trauma of the 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 tank treads of capitalism. Um, destroying all in their path. Yes, Not a in, problem if you're an Orioles fan. In, instead, the constant trauma of tanking. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's that's not fair. That's not fair. The Orioles are not currently in a, in a tanking period, if indeed they ever were in one. I don't even know if I believe that narrative. Um, they, Alan they, is definitely, nodding. they definitely were in one. <laughs> Alan is nodding and making a face like he just smelled old fish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they definitely were in one. Well, so let's start um, this week with uh, a question around John Angelos, sort of, because there was a great piece in The Athletic this morning uh, by Dan Connolly about Baltimore, the Great Wall of Baltimore, um, and how the pushing back of the left field wall at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last year lowered there are a number of amazing stats in the piece which i would encourage everybody to read if you have an athletic subscription but the one that really slapped me in the face was that the orioles team era i can't remember if this was at home or at oriole park last year 
went down by 2.3 runs per game. I'm going to say that again. Wow. 2.3 runs per game. It went from 6 to 3.7. Now, some of that, maybe point three is, yeah, an increase in the competence of the pitching. We did get new pitching coaches last year. I think the other two is moving the wall back. <laughs> now, Sam, did you account for the fact that the people who play in left field can't catch baseballs? <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, that makes that makes it all the more impressive, really. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, so so this is the the thing that's related to John Angelos is they ask John Angelos in the piece, what do you think of the wall moving back? Because it's it's basically like the one-year anniversary of the unveiling of the new wall. And he says, you know, it's a thing where Mike Elias and Sig Madal came to me and said that they thought we should do this and that it would have a meaningful impact. And he said, you know, uh, who am I to go against the decisions of our baseball people? Who am I to blow against the wind? Um, let's do it. And Mike Elias then says elsewhere in the piece, oh, well, you know, there once we get the new stadium lease signed, um, there will be money to make some aesthetic improvements um, so it won't be as ugly as, as it is. Um, two questions for you, Alan Smith. Do you believe for a second that John Angelos is a going to sign this new lease. We haven't not we haven't talked about this yet and I'm very worried about it and I need to know how to feel. Is it are are they actually going to sign a new lease on Oriole Park at Camden Yards? Why isn't it signed? What's happening? And two, do you think he is going to actually use a shred of that money on beautification of the ballpark? Uh, when it seems to be working just fine as is, which seems to be his approach to the team, it's working just fine as is. Why would I change something? Three, I think the Great Wall of Baltimore is actually awesome in how ugly it is. Do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, in in reverse order, I kind of am with John. I think that the uh, the sort of scrappy look of it right now um, – is 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 something to be embraced maybe we could um commodify it a little bit more um maybe if they were to make any improvements they could just sort of like spray, spray paint some graffiti on there a la like 1980s new york metro cars <laughs> um and really kind of lean into the scrappiness there um you know i i especially love the 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 bitter bitter tears from uh I think it's Yankees batters specifically. Oh, it's Aaron um, Judge. Aaron bitching Judge. about that wall. He who is just kind of hitting these little dink layups into the Yankees 112-foot um, <laughs> right field porch there. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm pro the wall and the change, and I don't think we need to do much beautification, but no, they certainly would not spend money if it's gonna, <laughs> if it's not, if it's not totally functional as is. Um, interesting side note, this Rangers series we just completed, um, one of the things that kept coming up was obviously the Rangers are in their new, their new park now with the retractable roof and all that, which you can make an argument that playing in Texas in the age of climate change, you did in fact need to be able to air condition that place or you would never be able to play a day game again. Yeah. Um, but their old park 
the one that they have now abandoned and moved into the new park with is younger than yeah. Orioles Park at Camden Yards, which is I fascinating think, to me. I think Texas, Atlanta, and there may be someone else on this list have had three ballparks in mm. the time since the Orioles moved into Oriole Park. It's really, That's really something. It's really nuts. And in the case yeah. of, of Texas and Atlanta, those were additionally ballparks. Where, like the second one in that series of three mm-hmm. was marketed as this is the vanguard of new ballpark construction. This is our long-term home. You know, it's never going to get better than this. And then they moved again. Yeah. And, and both of them, I believe, were state-funded boondoggles. I mean, both of them were – Probably, um, you know, huge, huge. I mean, especially the one in Atlanta where they moved out of Atlanta, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and into the exurbs. Um, there was huge, huge. Anyway, I, I, I bring that up in part because I, I don't always side with John Angelos, but <laughs> when I do, <laughs> I like it to be about the Orioles Park at Canada Yards. And I mean, I, 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 I want to hat tip the if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, methodology there at least that like we don't necessarily need the shiniest new ballpark this one's great in fact it's better than most of the other ballparks on the market yeah. even though it is um what closing in on 30 um i think it's 31 this year 31 this year um but uh i also you know i would feel better about the entire Angelo situation if they didn't keep insisting that nothing was wrong. Right. If they yeah. just weren't talking about it, I would feel like, oh, we're cool. But this particular, like, ever since Pete stepped back, mm-hmm. it seems like they only say things which they are then about to overtly contradict. They only say publicly things like, we're going to show you you sports reporters are mm-hmm. books, so you understand exactly where we are financially. And then just don't do that. They only say we're on a rocket ship to Mars and yes. great things when, in fact, they have no plans to spend and they're going to limp into um, uh, the new season without signing anything close to a marquee free agent. Yeah. So if they just shut up. I would feel like, oh, no, we're cool. We're cool. Yes. But the but the, prote- the like promises, repeated promises of signing a new lease is like, guys, yes. stop. <laughs> Just be a mercurial distant enigma like yes. other. Like, like dad. <laughs> yes. Like other and like owners in other cities. Like, I mean, I may be not knowing enough about owners in other cities mm. to say this, but, you know, there are, as we have talked a lot about on this podcast, there are cosmically far more evil people running other teams. As you just pointed out, one of the uh, people in the ownership group that runs the Dodgers, <laughs> for example. Um, there are there are people with like much, who are doing much greater harm to society running other teams. And I'm grateful that the Angelos family is not on that list. Mm-hmm. But what I'm not grateful for is the constant gaslighting <laughs> that we get <laughs> Where I mean, it, you alluded to it, but we just have to stay, say this explicitly because it's so deeply strange. John Angelos said to Dan Connolly, the aforementioned, come to the warehouse, I will show you the books of the Orioles. Didn't do it. Then said he would do it again. Didn't do it. 
and is now saying, I don't know why all these journalists are acting like it would be a reasonable thing for me to do to show the books of the team to these journalists. And the journalists reply, because you to- we didn't even ask for it. You told us you, you were going to do it. You volunteered this, man. You volunteered the information. Why would you do? Why would you do that? <laughs> only to only to then, it's it's not that you're. He took it back. I would have more respect for him if he was like, just kidding. I changed my mind. What are you going to do about it? I'm a rich asshole. That wouldn't be cool, but it would make sense. <laughs> right. There would be some logic somewhere. Yes. That to me just hints at this larger like. Will they, won't they leave the city of Baltimore? Exactly. That like exactly. everyone continues to deny wholesale. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't I haven't even really heard like any concrete suggestions about where they would go, except for like freaked out Orioles fans um pontificating on Twitter. Um but God, like just stop. Just stop being so weird. <laughs> Well, he keeps saying in public, the Orioles are a big part of Baltimore, as I've said. Um, And it's like, yes, John, but one, you lie repeatedly to our faces. So why should we believe this that you're saying? And two, the Orioles are a big part of Baltimore is not the same thing as I will not allow the team to move. Those are different things. (laughs) Colts were a big part of Baltimore, baby. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you grew up here. You swine you know <laughs> that we are traumatized people you know yeah. that in, it is in our in our at a cellular level we know that a team that is near and dear to our hearts can be packed up and moved out of town in the middle of the night you know that we are worried about that yeah 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 i mean i, I don't like as you mentioned, um, you know, one of the things that I have done in our um, in the interim between long stretches of Baltimore recording is I tried to come up with an absolutely official top to bottom ranking of sports owners. Uh-huh. Um, I gave everybody scores. Uh, I gave them scores based on how well they ran the team and how much of a um, – pimple on the face of society they happened to be at any given moment. <laughs> so to give you a sense, Baltimoreans, of this, like, former owner uh, of Chelsea, aforementioned Roman Abramovich, and former owner of the Clippers, Donald Sterling, are sort of like my two baselines for worst possible owners. Um, and there, there, there's a way in which, um, you know, on many of those metrics, the Angelos family actually is is head and shoulders above uh, many of the other billionaires that um, sit parasitically atop our society. <laughs> um, but I think more and more I realize that, like, the Angeloses are the worst possible owners for Baltimore mm. for the exact reasons that you're talking about. Mm. Because – there's a history now, a multi-year history of of investing in the wrong players, if you invest at all, um, investing sort of like too late or with uh, uh, like a, um, you know, af- after people have completed their valuable <laughs> run as baseball players, mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris Davis, um, and – and, and I think that at some point there just 
there becomes like generational trauma <laughs> yeah. with a name and uh, a franchise. And I think that that's kind of where the Angeloses are by now. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and I, and I just don't like their, I think that interestingly enough, the same thing is happening to my other team. Um, the Spurs uh, mm -hmm. are owned, Tottenham are owned by a, a, an ownership group that has undeniably been extraordinarily good for this, for Tottenham for a long time and sort of put them on the map and brought them up and got them this brilliant new stadium and invested all this money, but like can't get over the top. Yeah. And doesn't really appear all that interested in getting over the top. I think similarly, like, appears interested in, like, being relevant enough, selling enough tickets, getting enough jersey sales such that you kind of um, can keep on ticking over and making a profit, but not necessarily, like, driven by the idea of, of winning the whole damn thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you and I talk a lot about, like – trophy culture and whether mm -hmm. or not it is the most important thing to win at the end, but it is the most important thing to at least appear to be interested in winning. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, there's an interesting thing in this Dan Connolly article about Baltimore that I was talking about where a, f a couple different people that he quotes in that piece make the case that the reason that the Orioles have not been able to attract high-profile free agent pitching historically mm. is because of the short porch in left field oh. and that the moving back of the wall is designed to mm. help them be more competitive in those negotiations. And they make the claim that that was part of what got us Kyle Gibson, for example, is that they were able to say to him, hey, I know the Phillies are offering you the same amount of money, but we have run the numbers. And if you had pitched the same season that you pitched last year here, you would have given up seven fewer home runs. Now, Kyle Gibson himself says that did not play any role in my decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and I'm inclined to believe Kyle Gibson on that one and not um, the Orioles front office. Um, but I also could not help thinking reading the article is that true or is what's really going on that you're not willing to say to high-profile pro free agent starting pitchers, here's a bunch of money. Mm. Like, here's the amount of money that other teams are offering you. And we care as much about winning as they do. So we'll match that salary. Like, that seems like a much more likely explanation to me. <laughs> I know it is, was never even mooted particularly. Um, but... The facing Jacob deGrom uh, this week and then imagining like this Orioles team plus one greatest starting pitcher currently playing the game <laughs> in our rotation um, really like, you know, I, I, I think that the Orioles are one or two pieces away from being um, terrifyingly good and uh, I think one of those pieces, pieces is an ace that allows everybody else to ookie down to their correct position in the rotation. Um, and, and then one might be uh, a, um, you know, uh, a, an outfielder that can move around and play defense and hit well. <laughs> um, but I think that like, 
I think that 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 from the Orioles' perspective, they have a lot of young names that I would like to have on the back of a jersey that I purchase, which I guess is exactly the thing that the Orioles are hoping to do. Um, and this week, like the first week of the season, underlined for me how exciting. You know, I, we talked last week about Rushman going for a five for five, but um, Gunnar Henderson looks like the real deal, and he seems to be moving around the <laughs> infield like um a whack-a-mole uh, he can play <laughs> anywhere um and like mateo maybe is not An like maybe the, the, the break <laughs> the breakout of last last second half of last season might not have been like a tiny sample size thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um he's hitting home runs now what are you Mullen doing seems Jorge? to be regressing a little bit but it's early <laughs> oh that's interesting i i was gonna say there's two things that i'm most excited about, I would say. Um, One, for me, is Cedric Mullins getting hits off of left-handed pitching. Mm. Because for me, that was... I mean, I know this has been talked about a lot, but um, it seems like that was the thing that sort of went up in smoke last year and made him... took him from a five-win player back to a a two-and-a-half-win player, is which is still great. There's nothing wrong with a a two-and-a-half-win center fielder. But... If he can consistently be not have to be taken out of the lineup when mm-hmm. he's facing lefties, then he becomes he, he becomes not just credible, he becomes a force, uh, takes pressure off of Rutschman and is I mean it's it's just an unequivocal good. And it has seemed so far like his at bats against lefties, including Chris Sale, excuse me have been much, much more um, patient. He has he has looked a lot less lost than he did last year. And in particular, there was a double that he hit in, I think it was the first game against the Rangers, maybe the second one, where it was a big sweeping breaking ball down um, on the outside corner. And he just kind of like reached out the head of the bat and like let the velocity of the ball... Uh, take it Mm. from there and he looped this double into right field and it felt like the kind of pitch that last year he would have tried to to pull or to hit with more authority and instead he just like let the ball travel and drop the bat head on it did the thing that we you know spent so many broken years which wishing that chris davis would do um and i'd love to see more of that yeah yeah, well, I, I actually went back and looked at his actual statistics as you were speaking there, and I have undersold him. He's doing better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only was paying attention to the uh, most recent Texas game. So, Ah, uh, yes. Well, the, uh, the one against DeGrom. <laughs> yes, right, of course. <laughs> See my own previous statements. Um, so what else, are you, what else have you been excited about? Adam fucking Frazier, man. Yeah. Adam Frazier. I am so excited about Adam Frazier, I can't even tell you. Let me just explain myself here. I love the Adam Frazier signing so much because I know that he's not, he he, he does not scream liftoff. <laughs> <laughs> but Adam Frazier, to me, is an example of, it, it makes me want to believe a little bit in Mike Elias because Mm. it seems to me that what he did with Adam Frazier, unlike what he's previously done with Rugnet Odor and various other people, is this is not just a guy who can, you know, 
not pass out during a game. He's not just plugging a hole in the lineup. This is a credible, all-around major league player, professional hitter. He's not mm-hmm. going to be an all-star, but he's an at-bat that an opposing pitcher can't take off. They have to pitch to him. Yeah, You have to pitch to Adam Frazier. And he can hit some home runs. He's not going to strike out a lot. And he is a good defender. And, you know, he's he's not a world beater, but he, to me, is such an illustration of the difference between the Orioles of the last two years versus the Orioles of the previous three, which is to say he is not just like a, a piece of raw meat tossed to the opposing hounds. He's... He's a competent hitter, and he's part of a more balanced breakfast. <laughs> yeah. And he is playing that way so far. Yeah, Frazier's a very, very high-floor player. That's a perfect description. That's a perfect description. Which, you know, when we have a bunch of young guys who are learning how to be professionals slash probably also on a bit of a roller coaster <laughs> over the course yeah. of the season. It's really good to have him there. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. He's the I'm, infield. He's the infielder equivalent of, uh, uh, though I guess he plays the outfield too, of, uh, of an innings eating veteran starter. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I was, uh, we, we, we need to talk about um, Grayson Rodriguez at some point here. Yes. Um, but uh, before we get to that, uh, exciting conclusion of this week of baseball for us. Um, I have, I was pretty excited by the plug and play success of the Orioles rotation before uh, Grayson Rodriguez came up. So going into the Rangers in, in the first um, series of the year, the Rangers hit, you know, the cover off the ball and, uh, I think they were the highest run scoring team in the first three games. And the Orioles did a pretty <laughs> a pretty commendable job of shutting them down um, over three games. Um, you know, the, the the wheels came off the bus a little bit in the second half of the last game, but like mostly they did really well. And mostly they did well on people pitching um, with no <laughs> prep, um, either because Bradish was pulled from the game early or because, well, all because of Bradish took, taking that line ball off of his ankle, but Wells coming in and then um, Gibson moving up on one day and, and, and pitching cromulently and well. Um, and I was just really excited by the like bone heme, like we're all in this together uh, noise coming out of the Baltimore uh, clubhouse after all that. Like a lot of Elias Hyde specifically being like, these guys are ready to go whenever. Wells being like, no big deal. I'll come in whenever you need me. Like, it's not like these guys particularly have earned more of an ego than that. But it is nice to see them <laughs> be sort of like ready to go when they're needed and pitching really well. Like the, the five innings or so that Wells did pitched um, in relief in that game instead of being the starter the next day. I do think that there is like some ego involved in starting versus being a relief pitcher. And I do think there's some like prestige, et cetera. And he was less like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to go, let's do this. And he pitched really well and, and, and won the Orioles an important game. So I was really excited about that. And, you know, I still think we need an ACE to, to kind of like make all yeah. of the other small parts stick together. 
But uh, it was cool to see that kind of, and, and you know, maybe maybe we just need to like throw a grenade into the bullpen once a week and keep everybody <laughs> excited and <laughs> dancing around so that no one knows when when their next start is coming. Yeah, and I would add, I would add to that. I think you're making a really wise point about how it seems like so far this team has a really good head on its shoulders. And I would add to the example you just gave, the support for Ryan McKenna after he dropped the fly ball. I know we said we wouldn't talk about it, but just to go back to it for a moment, (laughs) there were just, there were, it seemed a, a lot of support for him after the game from the other guys saying like, look, we know that's not who you are. Um, Picking him up, um, yeah. knowing that he already felt worse about it than any anybody else possibly could, um, and I liked seeing that. Uh, I would have preferred if he'd caught the ball, but um, <laughs> I, I liked I liked seeing that. And kind of in the same vein, let's talk about Grayson Rodriguez for a second because sure. the thing that was most exciting to me about his start was, you know, I was feeling. Um, D.L. Hall feels when he took the mound at first because I was remembering the the game D.L. Hall started last year against Tampa Bay where he came out, he was all jacked up with energy. He was pumping fastballs all over the zone. He couldn't find the plate. And he had, you know, one and a half innings where he looked totally dominant and then the rest of the time he got slapped around. Mm -hmm. Um, And after the game, he said, basically, I was just so charged up I couldn't focus. And in the first inning, obviously, of Grayson Rodriguez's start, I was fearful that we were going to see, we were in for mm-hmm. a redux of that. And then Grayson Rodriguez did ace shit, mm-hmm. which is to say mm-hmm. he realized, probably with the help of Adley Rutschman and uh, the pitching coaches, he realized that he had too much adrenaline going and he got himself focused and then he pitched four scoreless innings against a devastatingly effective offense. Including um, uh, one, two, three, fifth. Exactly. It got better as the game went as on. He went. Yeah. And that's what aces do. And yeah. the hype the hype around Rodriguez is that he has ace potential. And obviously it's only one start, but we have seen other supposedly ace potential guys come up for their first start and not be able to find that kind of inner strength. So I was really excited to see him do that. And I am additionally excited that I believe right now, if things stay on their current schedule, his next start will be against the Oakland Athletics, uh, which I feel like has the potential to be a major confidence booster for him. (laughs) (laughs) Is it at Orioles Park or in Oakland? I think it's at Oriole Park. Oh, okay. Because if it was at Oakland, it'd basically be like He'd pitching throw a in front of game. a Triple A crowd. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. No. I mean, and and I to to I I was 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 also excited by it. I kind of wish he'd gotten to go six, but I understand the 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 logic of where they put him. Um, and I wonder what you think about the fact that he broke camp in the minors ostensibly for service clock reasons um but then essentially i think hit or 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 showed up and started uh 
where he would have been in the rotation had he <laughs> broken camp, right? Like, what does this, what do these two spot starts do to that whole narrative? Are we now, like, done with the idea that he has to be in the minors? Does he stay with the club for the rest of the year? Like, what? what's the um, outcome of all this? I was actually okay with him going back to the minors. Uh, he didn't have as good a spring as Tyler Wells and Kyle Bradish. Um, he just yeah. wasn't as good. At, those guys pitched better, and I feel like they they earned the slots and in a and meritocracy. He didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, it seems like of all the options to come up and make this spot start he made the most sense. Like, I actually, I don't think I can knock the... Any of the choices. Any of the choices here. Because at the same time, when you need somebody to come up and make a spot start, he's the guy who's stretched out more mm-hmm. than any other candidate to make a spot start. He is somebody who obviously the plan is to have him up in the big leagues for the duration very soon. Why not? This is as hard an assignment as he's going to get. It's early enough in the season that if he has a terrible outing, it's not going to be devastating. Yeah. Um, you might as well get him up here and see how he does. I think he's up for good now unless things really go sideways and he can't get anybody out. Hmm. Um, it seems, I mean, the the plan has always been for the future ace of the staff to come up this year and start to get his reps in at the big league level. So I think it's happening. I think it, was wise to send him back to the minor leagues to work on the command issues that he's been having. Um, I don't think, you know, just prospect vibes alone should be enough to make you throw somebody in there when he has not yet proven he can consistently get people out. But circumstances necessitated it. And in the very small sample size we have so far, he seems to have been able to find the necessary gear. So let's see what he can do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't... It's hard for me to find much fault with how they've handled his situation so far. No, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I, I was interested at actually a lot of the sort of vitriol in the public sphere um, around that. But it, a lot of the vitriol kind of ends up feeling like it's just uh, something to complain about, <laughs> um, you know, that, that there are, there are reasonable things to complain about the Angelos's and the ways that, um, uh, Elias runs the team. And then there are things where it's like, well, once we've gotten on our complaining horses, we may as well just ride these things all the way to the conclusion. Uh, and sometimes I think that's, that's, uh, where Orioles Twitter ends up. Um, yes. Bless their hearts. And to say, I mean, I understand where it comes from because, we have watched this team ruin Dylan Bundy. We've watched this team ruin Hunter Harvey. We've watched this team ru- not ruin, but fail to maximize the potential of Kevin Gosman. We've watched this team have no idea what it was doing with Jake Arrieta. I mean, those are those are four really, really sad stories. <laughs> oh God, it hurts <laughs> to go to go back to this idea of generational trauma. Yeah, but. I think the thing that is easy for me to forget is Grayson Rodriguez is the first pitching prospect, I think. Oh, I guess him and Hall are the first pitching prospect who have who are going to arrive in who is going to arrive in the big leagues, having mostly been uh, coached by the 
pitching coach regime that came in last year, Chris Holt and the other guy whose name I always forget. Um, and it does seem like they have a plan. And these are the guys who turned Dean Kramer into a credible number three starter. These are the guys who turned Tyler Wells into a credible number four starter. Um, so I, I'm, it's not a guarantee, but there is at least some reason to think that it might go differently this time. And I can already hear that statement coming back to haunt me. <laughs> uh, well, I think that we're already in great shape given that he's allowed to throw the pitch that he's good at throwing. Um, <laughs> that's already, you know, I, I know that's a, another generational trauma line there, mm-hmm, but oh boy, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> was it frustrating to learn that we're not allowing Bundy to throw the thing that made him good. Cut um, fastballs sounds like the devil's work to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Um, yeah, I, you know, I still feel that this team could have invested in a starting pitcher, um, but uh, generally, yeah, I, I think I think we need to let them... The, the first week of baseball has, I think, given us enough to say that we got to see a few more rotations before we uh, give up on any any of these current starters. Um, yeah. I'm particularly impressed with Wells, but uh, yeah, like ex- excited to see how these guys continue to, 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 to turn out. Who's pitching today against the Yankees? Kramer. Kramer. I, we should also say, since we were shouting out the what seems to be the psychological makeup of the squad thus far, I know we talked about Kyle Gibson's outing being encouraging against Texas, but also the fact that in the wake of Bradish's injury and the bullpen being gassed, knowing yeah. that it, it was on him to step up and go really deep into the game, he responded by going seven shutout innings. I mean, that's... That's, that's what you want from a number one. <laughs> that, too, is a s- shit. Yeah. Do you know whether or not uh, teams without sort of an overwhelming or dominant pitcher manage to make noise over the course of a season? Are there a lot of examples of teams that have sort of kind of patched together or something where they kind of have a bunch of soft tosser? You know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say soft tossers, like not these guys can throw fastballs, but um, where there isn't one sort of strikeout pitcher um, that have held it together for a long period of time. Certainly not in the modern era, I don't think. Um, Yeah. I mean, you could argue that the 2012 and 2014 Orioles sort of fell into that category. Rest in peace, Wei Yin Chen. Rest in peace, uh, Chris Tillman. Wei Yin Chen. But um, oh man, How rest in peace, that guy. In a minute, Bud Norris. Let us Bud not forget Norris. the Bean Man. Um, but I, I don't think it, the way the game is currently played. Um, Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> well, Smith, um, I think um, the only real question is uh, actually, I have, I have. Before we get to the real question. Oh, um, oh. I have two uh, quick orders of uh, business. One um, uh, farcical and ridiculous and one less so. Uh, quick farcical order of business. We are still looking for the perfect Grayson Rodriguez nickname. Mm, um, yes. And as we tweeted out last week, uh, it can't be G-Rod, you guys. 
and can't it can't it. be Grey Rod. Come on. Nope. I know nope. that's what he has on his glove. I know that's what he embraces, but we're better than that. That's boring. Um, Sam floated a wonderful idea of, of Gandalf um, for a series of reasons. You can check out our, our, our us at Be Morons. Um, so give us some recommendations, other ideas about who you, what you think, uh, because we're going to lock this in. And this is a generational choice. Uh, this is going to be a player who is with us for a long time. He's going to be the future ace. Uh, he's going to turn around the generational trauma. He and Adley are going to undo all of these years of top prospects not quite panning out. So whatever we decide here, we're going to have to be stuck with for quite some time. So if you don't vote, so, so you give can't it some complain. damn thought. That's right. If you don't vote, you can't complain. Um, and then the slightly less uh, or significantly less farcical thing. Um, just want to shout out someone who I have uh, only ever met over Twitter, but um, at Roar from 44, uh, uh, a big Orioles fan. Um, Justin passed away uh, right after Grayson Rodriguez, Rodriguez's start from what appears to be uh, complications of long COVID. Um, so uh, shout out to a person that I only ever met <laughs> via the tweets uh, who did contribute more than once to our uh, nickname episodes. Um, and yeah, just some, just some really tough news uh, reminders that the pandemic is not over, especially for people who are continuing to suffer long-term health effects. Um, so shout out to Justin. May his, May his memory be a blessing, and uh, I hope he's roaring wherever he is. Now, let's end on the most important question. <laughs> well, it feels a little <laughs> weird to ask the most important question. Nope, uh, nope, nope, got to do it. There are rules. <laughs> at this point. All right. Um, well, uh, I guess the most important question is, um, you know, the... Um, uh, the uh, the uh, we uh, it, uh, it, oh sorry weird I had a, such a strange uh, internet drop out there um, I don't know if you heard uh-huh. the amazing thing I said uh, the amazing just take, question take that it I one asked. more time just to be just to be safe <laughs> you are torturing me okay um, I remember what it is what do you call former Orioles prospect Henry Yerudia when he is preparing a Cajun dish that, like the current Orioles roster, is a blend of spices and flavors, not necessarily defined by any one particular thing, but undeniably tasty. I'm going jambalaya, but I can't, I can't, I can't make the portmanteau work. Henry Rue Rudia. Rue Rudia. So we're just going to root and toot off into the sunset here on this episode. Go Orioles. Beat the Yankees. (laughs) Talk to you next week. Baltimoreans. (laughs) 